Welcome to the Finding the Magic podcast, where books come alive. I'm Tricia Copeland, a fiction author and host of this show. If you love books, finding great reads, and hearing about the story behind the story directly from the authors, this is the place for you. Whether you like fantasy, science fiction, dystopian, or romance titles, I think you'll find something to love in my playlist. Listen in to discover something magical about a book or two today. Welcome, Tiffany. Hi, Tricia. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. Today, I have Tiffany Quay Tyson with me. She is the author of The Past is Never, and it won a Willie Morris Award for Southern Fiction, and she's from the South, so I'm super excited to talk to her because very few people know this, but I am from South Georgia, so I have a lot of roots in the South as well. Oh, that's exciting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I can still hear your little twang of accent. You don't hear that very often. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least where we live in Colorado. Right. <laughs> I lost mine very quickly when I went to college. People made fun of me and thought I was so cute, and I didn't want to be cute, so I, I dropped my I did yeah, I did the same. I mean, it it's comes out some now, particularly when I'm talking about my work, but because um, it's all set in the South, but I did the same. I, I got so tired of people like patting me on the head and treating me like a child just because I had an accent. Yeah, it's so crazy. I even went to school in Atlanta and people did that. Like I was from oh. South Georgia and people in Atlanta made fun of how I talked. So. Oh, people are the worst. And unless they're the best. Sometimes people are the best. <laughs> no, they are. They can be. It was just, you know, it was college students picking out something different about someone, right? Always. Well, let's jump in. Talk to me about your newest release. Um, so the latest book that I that was published is The Past Is Never. Um, and that's it's been a few years. I am working on something else now, but um it's a it's basically um, categorized as Southern Gothic, which means that it kind of deals with um, the, the, the entrenchment of things that are considered particularly Southern and dark, you know, things like um, racism and um, sexism and this idea that the old way is better. Um, and so it, tip, it basically, I mean, the plot pitch in a few sentences is that three siblings in, living in the Mississippi Delta go for a swim in an abandoned rock quarry on a very hot day and their father has always told them that this is a place they should avoid at all costs because it is cursed and of course they don't really believe that they go for a swim but while they are swimming the youngest sister six-year-old Pansy actually um, disappears and that's where the story begins with the remaining siblings. There's an older brother named Willett, and then there's the uh, protagonist and the narrator of the story. Her name is Bert. She's actually Roberta Lynn, but she goes by Bert because she thinks Roberta Lynn sounds like a country music singer. <laughs> um, and it and does. She it it does. Know, to her credit. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't care for that, and she's a little bit of a tomboy, and um, she spends the remainder of the novel searching for her sister and also her father who has gone missing as well interesting so you say she's the protagonist is it a first person or is it third person 
it is first person. Okay. Um, there are a few third person sections that are that I like to think of as like the lore um, that talk about the history of the quarry, why the curse, you know, why it's considered cursed, um, and also that give us the story of um, a, a different character um, in like bits and pieces. It's, it's a historical thread that runs through the uh, first person present day. And by present day, I mean the 1970s, early 80s um, that the novel is set in. Ooh, I'm getting chill bumps. I already went to your website and bought it on the indie bookstore. So it's on its way to me. Yay. I, I love Southern fiction and Southern Gothic. And I it's funny, you were talking about that. And I thought, oh, there was these woods behind our house that me and my sister were never supposed to go play in. And of course, one day when um, my parents weren't home, me and my sister were like, we're going back there. And we walked like half the day all the way back to this river. And then like as an adult, I'm thinking, what was I thinking? Like there could have been like murderers and kidnappers and any, or much less like an alligator or something in the woods, right? Exactly, exactly. My mom too, I mean, we had a, like a creek that ran through our neighborhood and um, we used to go down there and play all the time. And I said this to my mother like many years later and she was horrified, horrified and said, you were never supposed to go there. And I was like, I don't remember that. And she was like, you were supposed to have sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be innate in your being, right? But as, as children and young adults, it's really not. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Where did you come up with the idea for this book? You know, um, it's interesting, like I, it, a number of places, I guess. I'm never really sure where my ideas come from. They sort of just, I, I have a good imagination. I have an aunt who once said, boy, your imagination is really something, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> um, I do just, you know, I have a good imagination. I love stories. I love the idea of cursed places. Um, and actually when my, my first book was called Three Rivers and I went on a small book tour through the South, particularly through Mississippi when it came out. And one of the places that I read was at a bookstore in Natchez, Mississippi, which was my father's childhood home. Um, and we ended up driving around looking at places that he had lived and um, looking at just, it. Natchez is a great place, a beautiful city, but it's also like a city with a really complicated history. Um, and one of the places that exists there is a place called the Devil's Punch Bowl. And it's basically on the bluffs of the Mississippi River and it's considered cursed. And so wild peach trees grow there, but nobody will actually eat those peaches because the, the one thing that we do know that there's a lot of, I don't know, superstition about the place. But one thing that definitely happened was that when slaves were, when slaves were freed um, just after the Civil War, and they started to take jobs, work on their own, try to farm on their own. Um, many of them were captured and marched into the Devil's Punch Bowl where they were forced to work. I mean, it was basically a prison camp um, and most of them died there. And so there are literally thousands of corpses under this land that's producing all these wild peach trees. And we had to look pretty hard to find this place. I mean, it's not marked. It's not on a map necessarily. Um, you just kind of have to know what you're doing. And, um, and there's nothing, like when you're standing there, there's nothing special about it. It's a big ravine, essentially. Um, and yet 
you know, I, I found it a little chilling. And so that was one of the things that I, you know, that I had in my mind when I started thinking about the possibility of a place that is cursed. I had also lived for a little while in the Mississippi Delta in Greenwood, Mississippi. I worked as a newspaper reporter there right after college. And I went to college in the Delta as well. Um, and of course that place is just full of places that people think are haunted. I mean, you know, people are always pointing at this house or that house and saying that's where that, you know, that's where that happened and that woman's still rambling around. Um, and then of course it's the place where Robert Johnson supposedly sold his soul to the devil at the crossroads in Mississippi so that he could be the best blues guitar player that ever lived, you know, which many people would argue happened. Um, it, you know, he was to this day. And so, um, I, you know, so I'm really fascinated with this idea that a place can be cursed. And I kind of started exploring the idea of how places get that reputation. And that kind of led me to create this quarry and um, this idea of what would happen if people don't believe, you know, don't heed the warnings and then something terrible happens. Like, how do you reckon with that? Particularly if the something terrible that happens is, is to someone you're supposed to be looking after as these siblings were for their little sister. Um, and so really just started there. And then I kind of went off on a tangent from there. I, I just write what comes to me and then I have to go back and clean it up. But um, I like the idea of a place that is cursed and also the idea of perhaps the curse following a family through the generations. Interesting. Very, very cool. I'm so excited to read this book. <laughs> I will just, yes, I will be waiting on pins and needles for it to arrive in my house. <laughs> Do you want us to tell us a little bit about the three rivers? Sure. So um, it's a, it also is, it's set in basically the same town. They're both set in a fictional town in the Mississippi Delta and the town is called White Forest, Mississippi, which I think it's no real stretch to figure out that it's based loosely on Greenwood, Mississippi, where I lived for about a year. Um, and it's a small town with a really brutal and rich history. And um, it was one of the strangest places that I ever lived. I only lived there for a year, but it really made an impact on me. Um, when I lived there, I was still very, I mean, I, w I don't want to say segregated, but I will say that there were strong race lines drawn even then. And this was in the 1990s. I mean, we're not talking a million years ago, you know. Um, and it was really, and I grew up in Mississippi, but even I found this to be shocking. The, the level of um, kind of racial politics and things like that that would, that would happen on a day-to-day -day basis. So they're both set there. And Three Rivers is about a young woman who is basically touring with a really not very good Christian rock band. And she ends up um, getting called home. Her mother basically says, I need you to come home. Um, your father is dying. And she's pretty happy to quit what she's doing. But when she gets home, she realizes that her father actually is dying. She had thought her mother was probably exaggerating because that's what her mother does. And um, her mother has disappeared and she is left to take care of her dying father and also her brother who's suffering basically traumatic, the effects of a traumatic brain injury from when he was baptized as a teenager and electrocuted in the process. Oh no. Ooh. Yeah. 
So that's that that one in a nutshell. And that one I actually, I mean, that one I actually started when I read a newspaper story about somebody who was baptized and electrocuted. And I thought there's a story there for sure. So yeah, that is a story because I I didn't grow up in the Baptist church, but uh, many yeah. of my friends did, and they would have these baptismal pools back yep. behind the altar. So I can exactly right. see that happening, like electric yep. cords getting, oh, that's so scary. Now I'm going to be yeah. afraid of that. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get into writing novels? You know, I have always um, loved to read novels. Like it's my favorite thing to do even today. Um, I would just read novels all the time if I could, if I were just singularly wealthy and <laughs> nothing else to do, I would probably just read novels all day long um, and then talk to people about them and tell them what I'd read because <laughs> I'm always excited to share novels with people. Um, and so, you know, and growing up, I mean, that's what I did. I read um, just every week my mom would take me to the library and I would check out as many books as they would allow me to check out which was seven when I was younger younger and seven was never enough like I never was able to make those books last the whole week and it used to infuriate me that I couldn't check out more books um and so I guess on some level I was just a little obsessed with novels I was a little obsessed with books and with stories and storytelling um and so naturally I wanted to do it um and I don't you know, I don't know that I'm tremendously good at anything else. And I, I'm not sure I'm tremendously good at this, but I enjoy it. And it, I feel like I'm doing something worthwhile when I'm writing a novel. So, yeah. Well, I think a lot of people beg to differ with you. You have several awards for your writing. So I think you're okay on that level. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> and you said you worked as a reporter for a while as well? I did just for a really short time, um, just after college, I had worked, I was the editor of my college newspaper and had always worked on the newspaper in college and um, ended up working as a journalist for a newspaper in Greenwood, Mississippi um, for about one year. And then I moved away from Mississippi, which was something I had always planned to do as well. It's not that I don't love Mississippi, but I didn't want to spend my whole life there. And what do you do now? Are you full-time novelist or what is your career? Um, so I have mostly made a career I, for years and years. I did um, like public relations and marketing work, mostly for nonprofits. I worked for a while as like the publicist for um, various like public television stations and public television uh, shows. Like I, I was the publicist for Austin City Limits for a while. Um, but I've also done some publicity and PR work for nonprofits, like literacy nonprofits. Um, I worked for a little while for Lighthouse Writers Workshop, and I'm still really involved with them. Um, now, my I mostly, I mean, I write. Writing is not enough to make a living, not yet for me. I hope that it will be someday. Um, but I also teach creative writing and lead writing workshops at Lighthouse Writers Workshop in Denver. Um, and I do some like freelance editing and occasional writing for hire as well. Oh, fun. Yeah. So for our listeners here in Denver, we have, or Colorado, I should say, a group organization called Lighthouse Writers Association, and they have in-person as well as online courses. So if you are looking to improve your writing or learn how to write a novel, a memoir, a screenplay, any of those things, it's a great resource 
for authors or upcoming authors or want to be writers and authors. Yeah, it really is. It's a wonderful organization. So, and you could come take a workshop with me. <laughs> yeah, I've taken some classes. I, I don't think I've taken one of your classes, but several, several classes I've taken. They've been very beneficial for me. Great. Do you want to talk about what you're writing now? No. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I'm kind of joking, but um, I actually, you know, I'm writing something that is a suspense, what I, what I would consider kind of a suspense novel. So there's a little bit of a mystery at the center of it, which is probably true of my other novels to some extent, but this one is more focused on um, uncovering a mystery, but that's all I'll say, because if I talk too much about it, I tend to talk myself out of it somehow um, at this stage. So I'm really trying to stay in the moment and work on it every day and make progress. But um, when it's finished and hopefully published, maybe we can talk again. That sounds good. It's interesting. Yeah, I talked to you an author yesterday and she was exactly the same she was like no I'm not going to talk about what I'm working on and I'm like oh why is that is this like some phobia or is it some curse or you know should I not tell people what I'm writing about <laughs> I got kind of winged out that's funny I think a lot of it has to do with like once you say something out loud it often does especially if it's not completely formed you know what I mean if you're still figuring it out once you say it out loud you start picking it apart in ways that are not conducive to writing it you know like I will start talking myself out of the idea but I'll, if I talk too much about something I'll think oh that's dumb that sounds dumb and it's not dumb it's just that I haven't found my way into it completely so I don't like to talk my way out of it <laughs> That makes sense. Yes. And I only tell certain people when I'm at, at that idea stage. Like I know not to tell my husband because he's an engineer and oh. he's just like, um, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I have my author friends that I can say, hey, what do you think about this? And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I get that. Definitely. <laughs> and are you represented by an agent? Are you self-published or are you traditionally published? I am traditionally published. I do have an agent. Um, and I, yeah, I've never really, like, there were times when I thought I would never be published for sure. Like, I really worried that I would never publish my first novel because it took so many years. Um, it took me years to find an agent. And then once I had an agent, it took quite a while <laughs> before, you know, the novel was actually, I mean, I had to do some more work on it. And it took a while before she was, you know, she actually sold it. And I had, you know, really, I had many, many, years or periods in my life where I thought this is just never going to happen but I never really considered self-publishing I I think it's because I worked in public I work in public relations and I know how hard it is to get people to pay attention to something um even you know even something really worthy like it's really hard to get eyeballs and to get press and to get um and to create buzz about something. And I didn't want to be fully responsible for doing that for my own work. I just um, really needed the support of traditional publishing. And it's not that it's so much support, but it's, um, you know, they get it into the bookstores, they 
do the work, you know, they, you do have somebody to work with you on publicity. I mean, I still do, I'm still the one who shows up. I'm still the one who often suggests what, why don't we try this or why don't we try that? But if I were making all those phone calls myself and having to turn myself into a business that way, I don't think I would, I don't think I could. I, I think I would fail at that. Yes, it is a lot of hard work, but I have to say, like doing what you did takes a lot of patience. And yeah. I, at least for me, I was like, no, I'm not that patient. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh yeah I, I admire people who can make the self-publishing thing work I, I just knew that I, I don't think I could and it does take patience but it also like doing it the other way takes so much confidence and I'm afraid that I'm not that confident I really need somebody else to say to me oh yes this is good enough <laughs> um I, I don't know that I'm confident enough myself to say oh this is good enough I'm just gonna do it I actually needed somebody else to say that to me. And I think I still do. <laughs> well, I think we all do on some level. I mean, even, well, hopefully most self-published people have editors and beta readers and people who are helping them and looking at their work as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. And like I said, plenty of people go that route and do great, you know, and there's great stuff out there. I mean, it's not, it's not a quality issue or anything, but I just knew that I would not, I think I would fail at that. <laughs> Well, it seems like your books are succeeding as they are. So I'm definitely excited to read them. And I think my listeners will as well. This is my favorite question to ask authors. What is, and it may not be the same for every book, but maybe you can gleam an overall theme. What is the thing you want people to take away from reading your novels? Oh, um, oh gosh. Mostly what I want is for them to really enjoy the story. Like, I love it when somebody says to me, oh, I couldn't put it down. I stayed up past my bedtime. I had to finish it over the week, you know. And so when, when any reader says to me, I was just going to read a little bit and then I stayed up all night and I read the whole thing, I'm thrilled, you know. I want that sense of, like, propulsive um, excitement, <laughs> To me, that's the best part of reading. You know, I love it when I feel that way about a book. So um, I want, you know, mostly I want the readers to take away like the feeling that they've been in a, a place that is absorbing and exciting and interesting. And I won't say good because a lot of my work is pretty dark, but um, but that's what I want most of all is, is a really good story. The other thing that I'm interested in just as a person who was raised in the South and who writes about the South is um, that people understand, you know, I, I like it when people get and when people understand that we are not all the same. Um, I feel like the narrative in the press and in the media is often of either these very wealthy Southern, you know, landowners going back generations and who, you know, eat off Limoges, China and, you know, drink mint juleps every Sunday afternoon or whatever, um, or it's of these incredibly poor, um, racist, redneck um, trashy people <laughs> and I just think those two extremes do not represent the southern uh the southern people and so and I was raised very much in a you know working class to middle class household my father was an iron worker my mother was like a secretary and also often worked retail at night um so you know we did not have a lot but I wouldn't say we were poor we didn't feel poor um and 
we were hardworking and neither of my parents have a college degree. I went to college, but neither of them did. They were very determined that I would. Um, so, you know, they valued education, even though it wasn't available for them in the same way that they made it available for me. Um, and I want people like I want to put those people on the page, you know, the hardworking people with good intentions who sometimes maybe go astray and do the wrong thing, but they do it for good reasons. You know, I, I want to get rid of some of those. I want to try to break through some of those stereotypes of what Southerners are, particularly Southerners in fiction. Yes, I'm thinking of Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, where <laughs> it was very much portrayed as being, I don't know, the risque Southern aristocrat and then yeah. the, the have-nots of, and that was more set in a city setting, but um, yeah, I grew up not too far from Savannah, so that was pretty big news when that hit the bookstores. Yes. In, in <laughs> yes. And that was a, you know, that was based on actual people. But right. I think, you know, that it's and I, I, I read that book in a day because I think somebody gave it to me for Christmas one year and it was pretty compelling. But you also know that there's a lot left out of that. Like if you grow up there, you understand that there's a whole bunch of people who were not involved in that mess right. <laughs> and who were just going along, living their lives, raising their children, working really hard um, and doing the best they could. But those are not the people that anyone writes about. And perhaps because it's not as interesting, but I actually think there's a lot to be gleaned from um, middle-class, working-class Southern characters um, and middle-class, working-class Southern people who don't necessarily fit into the stereotypes that we've come to expect, either politically or racially or, you know, all of these, all of these things. I, I like to explore those margins a little bit. Interesting. Yeah, the other book that came to mind when I was looking at yours was Where the Crawdads Sing, which is a book I yeah. love and, yeah. you know, consumed in a day or two as well. And such an interesting and dark story as well. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. And I've not read that only because when mine came, like when it, it came out shortly after mine did, after the past was never. Um, and a lot of people like I would go to book clubs and people would say, oh, um, and now we're reading Where the Crawdads Sing. And they're very, there's a lot of similarities. And I was like, okay, I can't read that right now, but I should probably go read it now yes. um, that some time has passed. Yeah. Yeah. It, in, yeah. I mean, the main character in Where Do the Crawdads Sing is definitely a very poor family and basically has to raise herself. So a different setting from sounds like the family setting but set in the same type of place I think it's supposed to be set in South Carolina or North Carolina. Yeah. But yeah and mine is set like I said it's set in Mississippi but they do try end up traveling to the Florida Everglades at, at one point so um there is yeah so there is that is there's that as a setting as well that swamp yes because so in South Georgia where I grew up is the Okefenokee Swamp but it's yep. the biggest swamp like east of the Mississippi that's our claim to fame but so I can totally, like, because I lived there, I could totally see, you know, this whole environment in my mind that it was very e easy for me to conjure a picture yes. of what was happening. So I, I like those Southern stories. Yeah. Maybe a little biased. Same. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. Tell everyone where we can find you and your book. Um, so I, you can find me, I have a website. It's tiffanyquaytyson.com. Just 
my whole name.com. Um, and that's a great way to find out like if I'm teaching something or appearing somewhere or just, you know, general news. Um, I'm also on Twitter at TQ Tyson and Instagram also at TQ Tyson. And I do have a, an author's page on Facebook and it's just Tiffany Quay Tyson. Um, though I am admittedly not as active on Facebook as I am in other, uh, other places, but all of those are great places to reach me. And, um, you know, information about other writings and stuff is also on my website. So that's probably the very best place. Great. Thank you so much. Expect several stalkers in the coming <laughs> weeks. And thank you again for being here. Trisha, thank you so much. This was fun. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Finding the Magic podcast. I'm your host, author and podcaster, Trisha Copeland. And I love getting behind the scenes. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe and stop in each week, discover new authors and books. Thanks for listening. And until next time, keep finding the magic.